Welcome to ATRA, Voices from the Field. This sustainable agriculture podcast is presented by the National Center for Appropriate Technologies, ATRA, Sustainable Agriculture Program, with support from the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service. Hi, I'm Heather Lingle with NCAT. Thank you for joining us. Today's podcast is part of the occasional series entitled Starting a Farm from Rocky L. Woods, Director of NCAT's Gulf States Regional Office in Jackson, Mississippi, and Bill Evans, Director of Horticulture at Up and Farms Food Hub in Jackson. This episode is about soil considerations on a new farm. They talk about factors that affect soil, how to have yours tested, and the various ways you can improve your soil. Let's listen. I'm Bill Evans with Up and Farms Food Hub in Jackson, Mississippi. I'm Rocky Woods with the National Center for Appropriate Technology. And this podcast today is going to talk about start up soil on your farm. Start up soil on your farm. So we want to talk about some of the soil that building your farm would be excellent startup in the event that you're starting up a new farm. You want to be starting up, uh, you want to know what type of uh, plants you're going to be planting. So tell us, um, what type of soil do you think would be the best soil to have if you're going to be starting up a farm? Well, of course, that's, that's, that's a question every beginning farmer has. What kind of soil do I need? Soils are divided into texture and structure and then moisture levels. And each crop and soil uh, blend itself together to, to make a, a good system. A lot of times, many vegetables like to be grown on sandy soils. On the other hand, a sandy loam or even a silt loam can grow excellent vegetables, and you can grow certain kinds of vegetables on more clayey soils. So for those that don't know, a sandy soil, when you feel the soil and you feel grit, that's the sand in it. The smaller particles just below sand that you can still see, that's the silt, and that's a medium-sized soil particle. And then there's even finer particles that we call clay, and of course, that's what we do ceramics with and all that stuff. And clay is so fine that you can't actually you have to have a microscope to see the individual parts of that. A simple review of, uh, of a soil uh, survey book for your county at your county uh, USDA office or your county extension office can tell you exactly what kind of soil you have on your farm. You can also use the, there's an online tool uh, that NRCS has. Uh, called the Web Soil Survey, and you can Google that Web Soil Survey, and it's great for identifying your soil. It's a little wonky to use for a first-time user, but again, USDA and, and your extension office can help you with that, as well as NCAT, of course. You guys can help folks identify that, too, uh, if they call the uh, their original NCAT office or okay. email them. Okay, great. So a lot of the times when we have beginner farmers uh, to come to call our office or we have them in workshops and different things, a lot of the times they don't understand how important the soil is. Could you tell us a little bit more about the importance of soil? Well, of course, soil does several things for the plant. It holds them up, right? So it gives them structure, something to hold on to while they're growing. It provides air for the roots because the roots need air just like the top does. It provides water, and that water is used, of course, for the plant and for moving nutrients into the plant, and it provides nutrients uh, to the plant and sometimes we add those nutrients but the basic natural soil has many nutrients for plants itself okay so when we think about the uh, the type of soil that we have uh, what do we have to do to test our soil and things like that 
Well, you, you mentioned soil testing. That's interesting. Every starting farmer and then every couple of years afterwards, we need to test our soil. We have a couple of things going on. One, we want to know what the nutrient levels are in the soil. So we need to know what's there. And we need to know phosphorus, potassium, calcium, magnesium, and a couple of others. And we need to know something called the pH. And the pH is the measure of the acid versus base in the soil. And every soil has a natural pH based on the minerals and the weather of that soil. And we can modify the pH by adding lime to an acidic pH to bring it into a range that plants like. For most soils, plants like a range between about 6.0 and 7.0. It's just slightly on the acidic side. That maximizes the availability of most of the plant nutrients in the soil. So if it's less than 6.0 or 7.0, if it's just, let's, just, let's just say it's less than 6.0, what would we have to do to bring it to that 6070 range for our plants. Well, generally, when you get back your soil test results, it'll recommend that you put some lime on it if it needs lime, if it needs to get back up into that range. And the range differs a little bit for crops, but generally lime is the answer to that question. We'll add some lime. And we never want to add too much lime. We want to add the recommended rate of lime. If you go too far, it's much harder to correct a high pH soil than it is to correct a low pH soil. So we get above 7.275 and we get in there. It's very hard to bring that down and manage it. And if we can't bring that pH down, then we have to do foliar applications of nutrients. It's it's a, We'll do that in another podcast here, but we want to know our pH and we want to manage it well. So and if we didn't want to use any type of uh, man-made uh, synthetic lime, is there a crop that could bring the pH up or... Uh, for example, cover crops. Is there a cover crop that can bring the pH of your soil up? Well, that you, you've raised a couple of really interesting points in there. Almost all lime that's available for you to use is natural mined limestone that is perfectly legal to use in certified organic systems as well as the naturally grown system and many other systems that we're not trying to do something synthetic. The one restricted lime is something called pelleted lime or quick lime. They don't like you to use that necessarily in organic systems because that is that's treated in such a, after after mining rather than most lime just is just ground and you just add the ground limestone to the field. Mm-hmm. The pelleted lime has another process in there that that uh, may not be suitable for it. Cover crops. Most of the time, when we add crop cysts to soils we're going to uh, either not affect the pH at all or begin to slowly reduce the pH. Most most plant materials are slightly acidic itself, and the system itself is using calcium and depleting the calcium over time. So cover crops, for the most part, are neutral on pH, but they could, over time, slightly reduce the pH. Reduce or increase? Reduce it, make it more acidic. Okay. Meaning we need more lime. The really, the only way to raise... The only way to efficiently raise the pH, if it needs to be raised, is to add limestone. And there's two two main kinds of lime that we use. We use a calcitic lime, meaning it's just calcium carbonate. Mm-hmm. Where we use what's called a dolomitic limestone, or dolomite. And dolomite has a combination of calcium carbonates and magnesium carbonates. And the combination of those is what dolomite is. And both are very effective at, at raising pH. So those would be the soil amendments that would be added to the soil. 
Limestone could be considered a soil amendment, yes, because it's really, you're not adding it necessarily for the calcium or the magnesium that's in the limestone, although you get that benefit. You're using the limestone strictly to modify the pH. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll talk in a minute here, I think, more about, let's let's do that. Let's talk in a few minutes about um, soil amendments. Okay. Yeah, so, so we were thinking about startup soils in the beginning when we talked about our startup soil. So... When we think about our startup soils, just just say because we generally have questions about um, farmers that come in and say, "Hey, I want my soil to be good first before I start the plant." Uh, is 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 the type of soil good? Let's just say for the particular type of plant that I'm uh, or vegetable that I'm planting. Let's just say if I have like a clay or they call it an alligator buckshot or something like that type soil. What would be best? suited for those type of uh, vegetables to be planted in that soil versus a sandy loom type soil? Okay, good question. So, uh, of course, you and I, as we've said in, in the other podcast, we're sitting here in Mississippi making this recording, and alligator buckshot clay is indeed a, a clay soil. It's very high in those very small particles, has very low drainage capability. So over the winter time, it holds moisture, but in the spring and in the fall, you could actually grow greens crops. You could grow mustard, turnip, collard, kale in those soils. Uh, they're not suitable for things like tomatoes and squashes and stuff that are subjected to root rots really badly. What about legumes? They, you might be able to do some legumes. You might be able to do some uh, southern peas, um, maybe a fall crop of English peas, uh, green beans, lima beans, things like that. Yeah, the legumes might be a good choice on that soil. You wouldn't want to do any overwintered crops on that soil. On the sandy loam that you talked about, as long as we have access to irrigation water, we can grow almost any vegetable that you can think of on a sandy loam. It's a very good vegetable soil. Most gardeners and most small farmers aren't blessed with a sandy loam, especially small farmers. They usually have a silt loam or a loam, and those are very good, but sometimes we like to use a raised bed to make sure that we don't have standing water uh, in the, or saturated conditions in that soil. I know at one point in time I was farming and I was able to, and I had good sandy loam, but when I rented some soil that had the real, the, the alligator buckshot type soil, I had difficulty planting the type of seed. And I was growing soybean because I didn't have irrigation there. It would, it would get so dry until it would crack. The ground would crack open. And when it finally rained, um, my plants was having a hard time trying to rejuvenate themselves because I guess it was filling up the cracks first before, you know, any of the type of the root moisture was getting to the to the plant. What kind of soil amendments or soil could I add to that particular type of soil? Well, we've talked to, we've talked about soil texture, the sand, silt, and the clay. There's another factor of soil called structure, and it's the structure how those particles bind together that you're talking about that makes the cracks. Okay. So. When the clay particles are bound together with these glues in the soil called humates and other binding materials, then when they start drying out, they crack along certain certain angles and things, and those cracks wind up uh, taking all of your irrigation water, for instance. So on a clay soil, we have to be careful not to let it dry out too much and yet not allow it to uh, to be too wet. So we can amend those soils a little bit, and this, this is true of 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 soils here in Mississippi, it's true of the clays up in Kansas, it's true of other other clay soils, other places. Some people use gypsum to try and make more structure to bind that soil 
into uh, into little balls that uh, they're little cake crumbs really more more that more so than a little ball it's not like a mud ball or something it's really a cake crumb kind of structure you're trying to get and gypsum will do that adding cover crops and i guess this is a good transition for cover crops is valuable for any soil that you're growing on it will help a sandy soil hold more water it will help a clay soil drain more water and have more water available to the plant over time without it being too too much water again it'll add nutrients you know cover crops can can help retain nutrients and trap nutrients that are in the profile after a regular crop uh the legume cover crops vetches peas something called sesbania uh, and a few others they will bind or they will fix nitrogen they have a relationship with bacteria that allows them to to grab nitrogen out of the air in the soil and bind that in these little nodules on the roots and then that nitrogen stays in those nodules until the next crop uh, in general and that could be a some legumes will fix a hundred pounds of natural nitrogen per acre. That's tens of pounds of nitrogen that you don't need to use uh, from fertilizer or manure sources. So what happened? You you mentioned manures. Are manures good for all type soils or just different type soils? For example, a sandy versus a clay. Which one would more than likely need the manures to help enhance the plants? Well, manures are organic matter. Okay. And organic matter. Uh, is going to benefit any soil you put it on. You almost cannot put too much organic matter into a soil. So again, it's going to it's going to increase moisture availability in a sandy soil where we struggle to keep moisture in the soil. It's going to reduce saturation conditions in a clay soil, making the water more more at the right availability for plants in a clay soil. Manures are going to add nutrients to the soil. Organic matter in manures and Compost and things—they're just great for soils. Okay, so let's just say when I do my soil samples and I've collected all of this soil, where do I send the soil samples to? Okay, that's a great question. So, in general, almost every state has an extension service that either runs soil samples or can tell you how to get soil samples run. I think up in New England now. I think it's a cooperative thing. I don't think every state in New England has a active. Uh, consumer soil testing lab anymore and indeed around the country there are others that have stopped running their state soil lab but there are here in mississippi our our state soil lab is still active for consumer samples and for farmer samples we'll take our sample which is generally 10 or 15 little cores or little trowelfuls of soil put in a bucket from the area that's going to have the roots in it so you're talking six or eight inches deep and you're going to put all those samples in a big bucket. You're going to stir them around. Take a cup of that or two cups of that. Put it in a box or a bag and send it off to your soils lab. Generally, you can find um, you can find how to submit a sample for your lab online at your extension service website online in your county or your state. And once we get those soil results back, what what generally does the results tell you to do? The result. So most soil labs, they'll send back to you when you when you submit your sample. You tell them your address and you'll tell them the crop you're planning on growing. From that, they will make recommendations based on what they found in the chemistry in your soil. The soil tests generally test your pH, 
your phosphorus levels, which is the second number on a fertilizer bag, like like 10, 10, 10, that second number is the phosphorus. And it'll tell you the potassium level, which is the third number on on the fertilizer bag. So 10, 10, 10, that last 10 is, is potassium. Okay. So it'll tell you how much of that to use, how much is in the soil, and then make a recommendation on how much of that you need to add to the soil. It will also, based on the crop, tell you how much nitrogen you need to add. And the nitrogen is the first number on that bag. But we don't test for nitrogen in a normal soil test because nitrogen varies from point to point in the soil so much. If you have a dead leaf in the soil over here, there's going to be way more nitrogen over there by that dead leaf than there is in this area over here. There could be a difference of 10 or 15 times difference. And without taking dozens and dozens of soil samples of individual cores or trowelfuls of soil, we can't get an accurate representation of nitrogen. But based on that, that's why you have to tell them what crop you're going to grow and where your address is so that they can make a recommendation based on how much that crop needs for your nitrogen. So if they saw a sample and then I get my samples back and they say, hey, I want to be, I want to be growing let's just say watermelons or something like that and they say well hey you need that that prescribed information that they send back from the samples would tell me what i need to add to the soil to actually um produce a healthy amount uh, or yield of watermelon correct okay. correct that's exactly what they'll do there and uh too much of a good thing is too much of a good thing okay. and we talk about environmental consciousness and 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 being kind to the to to the soil and and our environment you don't want to spend any more money nor put any more fertilizer on than they recommend because it's not going to help your crop. It may actually harm your crop. And it certainly means you're going to reduce the efficiency of that fertilizer getting into the plant because you're putting too much on. And things like nitrogen, they can leach into groundwater. Things like phosphorus, extra phosphorus, that can run off in soil erosion into area surface waters. And even though you may not know it, you may be washing extra phosphorus into a stream or something like that. So only apply what the soil test recommends. No need to go any higher than that. It, and that's universal, true for synthetic fertilizers and for organic fertilizers. The only exception is maybe some low nitrogen compost type materials that increase organic matter and, and help hold the nitrogen there. Okay. So I guess that about wraps it up with good startup soil for our farm. If you have any more questions, our listeners have any more questions, they can feel free to reach out to us. All right, Dr. Evans, thank you so much for coming by this afternoon, and we look forward to more podcasting with you through our organization, National Center for Appropriate Technology. Thank you. Thank you for listening to ATRA, Voices from the Field. If you have a moment, please complete a brief survey to let us know what you thought of the content presented here. The link to the survey is in the notes that accompany this podcast. We'll catch you next week, and until then, keep on farming.